0: Amen. Hey, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Romans 12, verse 1 through 8, is where we're going to be working from today. If you do not have your Bibles, Quit it and start bringing your Bibles. You're like, but it's on the screen. That's okay. Eventually that will go away and you still want to have the word of God opened in front of you, either electronically or through a Bible that's in print form. If you need a Bible, we want to give you one. It will be our gift to you. So there's no reason for you not to have a Bible open in front of you. Please do that. Don't hear that as heavy, but I want you to love the word of God. I want you to love the word of God. And you can't love the word of God unless you open the word of God and have it open in front of you, right? Let's be a people of the word. All right, follow along as I read Romans 12, one through eight. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind with cheerfulness. All right, church, that's our text for today. We're going to work our way through it, so please pay attention. Ask God by the power of his Holy Spirit to open your mind and your hearts to receive his word and to be changed from it. Okay, the first thing that we need to tackle is the word therefore, right? You see it there in verse one? It says therefore. Now, anytime you see this word in your Bible, you must ask yourself what? What's it there for? Thank you. I love when people talk back to me, not in a bad way, but in that way. Good job. What's it there for? That's a good question. Well, it's there because of what has been said in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to actually teach Romans 1 through 11. I'm going to actually read them all, and we'll be done by Tuesday when you all have to go back to work and school, okay? Okay. Just kidding. Uh, Some of you said, "Okay, well, praise God. That's that's an awesome thing." If you're like excited to be here for like two days, but that's not what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a flyover of the first eleven chapters because really, what happens in the first eleven chapters is Paul gives his intent as to why he's writing the letter, and then he just breaks down the gospel. He breaks down the good news of Jesus Christ, and so. He, he breaks down that the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died to pay this penalty for our sin, right? There's nothing that you and I could do to save ourselves. He then says that we become children of God by the blood of Christ alone, by grace alone, by trusting in everything that he's done through his life, his death, and his resurrection, that there's nothing we can do to be justified on our own merit. It is only the blood of Christ that justifies any sinner and saves us, right? Amen. That's really... In a nutshell, and you should read the whole letter of Romans, yes, but that's what he's saying. So, so let's, let's break it down, all right? Because many times when we say the gospel, we talk about Jesus died for my sins, and you should. That's a good thing to say, and that's a good thing to believe, because it's true. But Francis Schaeffer says this, and I love it. He says, Christianity does not start with Jesus saved you from your sins. He says, it starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, let's start with God. Anytime we talk about the gospel, always start with God. God is good. He is a gracious God who created everything from nothing, including the most valuable thing in all creation, humanity. He created man. By the way, here's a shameless plug. Next weekend, we start our new sermon series, Man, Woman, God is going to be a great sermon series. I'm so excited for it. I hope you're excited for it. Invite your friends and your family so that you can hear how God has designed this world to be run. And when it's in submission and following him, it runs well. And when it goes crazy like it is right now, it gets a little wacky and we all need to put our minds back into the mind of God through his word. All right, that's over. So we start with God. God is good, right? Then we go to man, right? So something went terribly wrong. Man rebelled against his good and gracious God, right? We know this. And and so Romans starts to break it down. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of this, there's a consequence to our sin. And the wages of our sin, the thing we deserve is death. Death spiritually, death physically. And, And so we see that. And now, because of our sin, we are separated from our good and gracious God, Jesus, right, who is fully man and fully God, right, he is the God-man, he incarnates himself, he puts on flesh, he puts on meat, he comes to live among us, he comes to rescue us, he enters the world that he created, that was created through him by becoming a human. Now, he never sinned, and the man, Jesus, come to rescue us from our sin problem, which enters the cross, right? And I'm just giving you an overview of the gospel. The cross, well, Jesus did something utterly amazing. And what happened at the cross was there's this free gift of God of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We read that in Romans, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, not after you've cleaned yourself up, you cannot clean yourself up, Jesus, God sent Jesus to do what we could never do in the midst of our rebellion, this is a good God, then because he never sinned, the grave cannot hold him, he resurrected from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's mediating this relationship to all who will call upon the name of Jesus Christ if you will respond in that way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans teaches, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right. Amen. And the result of this wonderful message, Paul tells us in Romans, therefore, because of all this amazing news, since we have been justified, just as if you've never sinned, by faith alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, The gospel broken down for you to understand. And he's coming back and he's gonna make everything right and he's gonna call his bride, that is the redeemed church, to himself. And we will live with him forever. And we will sing and we will praise and we will not have sin. That is the thing that like makes all our relationships really difficult, including the one with our God and with each other. And this will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. Keep that going, right? Praise God, this is the gospel. That's the gospel. And that is Paul's gospel that he breaks down in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Now, then we start chapter 12 and he says, therefore. Well, that's what it's there for. Now, in response of this message, in response of all of God's mercies, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You get it? You see it? Well, then let's keep jumping into it. All right, our response to the gospel is to joyfully and freely submit ourselves in glad submissions as living sacrifices to this good and gracious God who's provided everything for us in and through the gospel. Think about how radical of a statement that is being declared in that moment. Remember, God's people, before Jesus came to the earth, would go to a temple— And they would submit an offering. Um, Some of these offerings in the Old Testament were for a sin offering. And this would be a picture of shedding blood, right? And asking for your sins to be forgiven. But now, but now since Jesus, everything he's done in the gospel, since Jesus is our sin offering, we no no, no longer need to do this. We don't need, need to offer a lamb. We don't need to offer anything. But Paul's saying because he's done this, Offer yourselves. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. That's what it means to present your bodies to God. I'm yours, Lord. You've done everything. I'm yours. Here you go. My life, it's yours. What does it mean to present yourself as a living sacrifice? Well, that's a good question. In short, it means to be at God's full disposal. I am yours. I'm not my my own anymore. It means to be willingly... uh, to gladly lay down your life to the one who has saved you for his glory and for our ultimate joy in him and for our satisfaction in him. He is the only one who can satisfy a soul. You do understand that it means to be willing to obey all that he commands with the grace that he gives, knowing that we can't obey it all perfectly, but that Jesus has obeyed everything perfectly on our behalf. But yet we still seek to do this. It it means to be willing to receive everything that he sends in our life, including suffering, pain, knowing that he's good and that our biggest problem has been removed, which is the wrath of God. And so no matter what, you can endure. And these are all light momentary afflictions preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that is to come so we can suffer well, because he'll give us the grace to do that. Now, Now, here's the thing. God wants all of you. He wants your whole life. He wants you to give everything to him. It's his anyway, And, and he doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want just our weekend attendance. He doesn't want our attention when things go bad. He wants all of you because he's a good God, and he knows that that's good for you. You're not your own. I'm not my own. I was purchased with a price and so were you. So here's a quote from a discipleship book that I I love. Listen, he says, the the saying is true that we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. You have to think about that. I'm going to say it one more time. The saying is true that we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. Meaning, you could give of your time, you could give of your money, you could give of your efforts, and ultimately yourselves, and not know the love of Jesus. Religious people do it all the time, and I say that in the negative sense. We, we see Muslims do that. We see Muslims who are willing to go and jihad and die for the sake of their God, but they, but they don't do that really out of a love response. They do that out of a fear response in order to get salvation. But, but what he's saying here is, if you'll pay attention, we can not love Jesus without giving ourselves to him in response to everything he's done. If, if you think you can, you've misunderstood what he's done in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So I recommend going back and reading what he's done and asking God to help you see the glories of God that is portrayed in the writing of the first 11 chapters. But if you see what he's done, and God opens your eyes and gives you faith and gives you grace to see it, well then you would know you can't see all the glories of the gospel and not give of your time, your money, your efforts, yourselves in glad submission to the one who's done everything because he's amazing, right? This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. Look, look at John 12, 23 through 25 says, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now now get this, Jesus is giving of himself in this moment as as a sacrifice in order for us to have life. In a sense, Jesus goes in the ground just like the seed and he rises from the dirt triumphant so that he can then bear fruit. And guess what? All who have come to receive this gift, you're the fruit. You're the ones that he has made alive by his sacrifice. And we see that right? If he doesn't do that, if he doesn't go in the ground, if he doesn't willingly for the joy set before him go and die, none of us have salvation. We're all headed to hell. But he dies joyfully, gladly. Get that. Because love is the motivation for your worship. Love will be the motivation that causes you to give your life to him. It will never be fear. Fear will never do it. It won't be guilt. Guilt only works for a short time and Sunday's over quick. It will never be those things. It is only love. It's when you see the love of Christ, you're like, how could I not give myself to this great king? How could I not respond in worshiping him in this way? Yes, Jesus, whatever you bring my way, yes. Now you might not be starting with yes, but he'll bring you there. He'll bring you there because he's a good God. Now, this is his call. To us, so he's like, I went to the ground, I've died, so that I could bear much fruit. Now I want you to bear fruit. This is his call to us: is to die of ourselves, to be living sacrifices. So my question right now: Will you keep your life for your selfish purposes? I don't want you to answer me, but I want you to answer the question. I want you to humble yourself before God. I want you to ask that question. I want you to ask God to search your heart. Will I live for my life alone or will I live for Jesus? That's a great question and you all should have asked it if you're a follower of his by now. But if you haven't, start today. Well, well, why would you not? Well, there's a couple possibilities. One possibility is that you have not seen the glory of God. You've not understood the love of Christ. It doesn't even mean that you're not saved. It just means that you've not caught the glimpse and the glory of what Jesus has done on your behalf. You need discipleship. That's fine to be there. Don't stay there. Get discipled. You're like, I would love to be discipled. I don't know how to be discipled. Come see me. I'll make sure you get discipled. I got an army of people who want to work with you, but I can't know it if you won't say it. So let me know. By the way, you're being discipled Sunday mornings. Get into a community group. If you're not in a community group, that's your first step. Get in a community group. Get surrounded by people who love the Lord. And I'm telling you, change happens in communities. that's, That's one possibility. What might another possibility be that you're not willing to be a living sacrifice to King Jesus? Well, that's a good question. It might be because you are still spiritually dead. You're not a believer. That's a possibility. I'm not saying you personally, I'm just saying it might be. You might be spiritually dead. You might not be a believer in Christ. Possibly you lay yourself down on the altar of another God, and I mean small g, God. You lay yourself down on another altar. And one that can't save, one that cannot satisfy. One that will never do what it promises. And you're thinking, what's he talking about? How about the God of, let's say, money? You ever lay yourself down on that altar? How about the the God of success? How about the God of sex, drugs? Maybe you lay yourself down on that altar. Maybe that's why you're not a living sacrifice because you're a dead sacrifice worshiping a dead God that can do nothing, has no power. Maybe that's why. If that's you, listen, I'm not yelling at you. I love you. God loves you. We're praying for you. I'm praying that he'd help you see the glory of the gospel and that you would humble yourself, that God would give you the grace to humble yourself and that you'd repent, turn from your sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus. If that's you, that could happen today. It happened for a man named Scott Benson this year. Is it because Scott's smart and great? No, it's because God is amazing and through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to see and believe. But he received this gift. If that's you, repent of your sins, Receive the gift of salvation today, not tomorrow. Today's the day of salvation, right? All right, put your faith in Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That's the only sacrifice that can save you and be a living sacrifice for him. So now, church, those who are like, yes, I, I worship King Jesus. All right, will you gladly die to yourself and offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Now listen, I know many of you and you're like, yes, and I do. And I say, yes, and you do. Praise God. Because I see that the, it is a sacrifice because that's what Paul is saying here, but it's a joyful thing to lay yourself down at the altar of God and say, I'm yours. Use me in any way you want to, because you're so good. And when you see the character of God and you see the goodness of God, you'll be glad to say, yes, Lord, anytime, anywhere, anything, whatever you want, I'm yours. Because he is the only one who can satisfy us. Well, what does that look like in the life of a follower? Good question. From, from the, so some, here's some more thoughts from that same discipleship book that I was talking about. I thought, well, why recreate everything? He gives me some really good stuff. So here we go. I'm going to read it. Maintain a yielding, humble disposition a willingness to say that I'm wrong. (laughs) You ever said those words lately? I'm wrong and I need to change. Change me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Yeah, down must go all pride, right? This is what it means to be a living sacrifice. How about financial adjustment? By the way, these are just thoughts. I'm not saying you must do this. I'm saying you need to humble yourself before God and ask him, what is it I need to do? But I'm giving you some thoughts, okay? How about a financial adjustment? As you share offerings at the church and with people in need, you need to have your finances adjusted because he's the king and Lord over all your money. It's not yours. It's his. You're a steward. Be a good one. How about maybe taking even a lesser job to allow more time for the things that God is doing? I'm not saying that's for you, but it could be for you. Don't be surprised if it's for you. I can tell you right now, there was a time in my life, my track record was, I was aiming for a certain amount of money, and that was my God. That was the altar I laid myself down on every day. And how do you know? Because I gave myself to it. My time, my thought, my energy, all went to this, building up a 401k, I was asked years ago if I ever considered being a pastor, and I laughed, and I said, well, I had, but then I heard what you guys got paid, and I changed my mind, and they just looked at me, and we're going to pray that God changes your heart. That's a good place to start, and he did, but not before I had an opportunity to receive a job that would double my salary before taking a pastoral position. God wanted to make sure that that altar was closed. And it was. Is it because I'm great? (laughs) No. If it were left up to me, I would have received that job and been making six figures. It's because he's great and he was allowing me to see he's more worthy than anything that this world can offer. So maybe it's that. Maybe you need to die of yourself and allow interruptions of your schedule and your time. It's my time. It's not your time. It's God's time. Or maybe you need to allow for a drain on personal and inner resources as you attempt to help others. By the way, I see you guys doing this. I'm not going to point them out today, but I know a family who went to help a lady who's a widow and, and like cut down more wood than like, I don't know a lumberjack could do in a day. So I know you guys are doing this, and I'm so thankful. I'm asking the rest of you to come on in because the water's fine right? How about this? Maybe yours is a singular call into Christian service, and it might mean a costly reshaping of your entire life program. Maybe God's calling you to go to another country. I don't know. You need to talk to him. In a word, though, it's self-denial. That's exactly what it means to lay yourself down at the altar. Self-denial. I don't know what it is for you, but I know for sure if you're willing to humble yourself and ask God, he will tell you, he will show you through his word. There's, and be a, Listen, this is your spiritual worship. That's what Paul says. By the way, we're, we're still in verse 1. We have eight to go. I know. Hang in there. It'll start to go. This is your spiritual worship. What? Listen, there's so much confusion on the word worship. Many people wrongly think that worship happens when we sing and raise our hands. And by the way, that is an aspect of worship. But if you think that is all that worship is, you've misunderstood the word and you couldn't be further from the truth. Sure, praising King Jesus through song is worship, but that is not in itself all that worship entails. So what is spiritual worship? Well, it's the act of giving God all honor, glory, praise, love, adoration, thanksgiving as we gaze upon his unsearchable riches of the gospel. It's giving ourselves. That is your spiritual worship. And and when we do this, when we realize that our life is to be daily given over and to die of ourselves, we will do it as we see these glories in the gospel gladly gladly, oh, for joy. Every day you must wake up and die to yourself. Yourself is the problem. Myself is the problem. What we need to understand is when we put ourselves at the foot of the cross and we see our bloody Savior dying there in our place, we could not do anything else except worship him in this way. Because apart from him, you don't have life, you have death but because now he's given you life and we've been raised with him, this is the only proper response to the gospel. It's the only proper response. And so, and and by the way, Paul says it's holy and it's acceptable to God because it is what faith produces in the life of a believer. This is what it produces. Faith produces this kind of life and this pleases him because you can't please him apart from faith. But if you have faith, you'll gladly lay your life down. That's what it means to be a follower. Let's continue. Verse two. Verse two. We'll fly from here, I promise. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It is so easy to be shoved into a mold in this world, is it not? say yes, or you're all lying. Come on. It's really easy to be shoved into the mold of this world. One of the greatest molds that the world wants to shove you into is the mold of self. (laughs) Self, right? Um, The world promotes selfism. If you think that's not a teaching that the world's promoting, you're not paying attention. You're out to lunch. I promise you, you need to pay attention because it, okay, it's sold like this. Self-actualization, self-centeredness, self-fulfillment. Oh, that sounds like a good word. Self-gratification, self-esteem. Well, we teach that one all the time and the list goes on and on. But the whole system teaches that it's all about you. It's all about you baby. And trust me, that's the mold that the world will put you in. Now, the, the world promotes this, but here's the thing. It doesn't lead to happiness. Well, I've, seen, I've seen the effects. I lived it for 23 years. I've seen the effects that that mold brings. You must not be shoved into that mold. You must have your minds transformed by the word of God. We must have our minds transformed. And, and to do that, We need the Word of God, right? We must saturate our minds with the Word of God. We must be renewed continually through the Word by His Spirit. Look at Colossians 3.16. So let's let's talk about what it means to, to have our minds transformed by the renewal of our minds, right? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, to God, right? Information alone will not transform your mind. Hear me. You, I know lots of people who do Bible studies and never grow in love because they never seek to obey. I know lots of people who could teach you the Bible and, and, man, they sound amazing when they do, but yet they've not understood what it means to love anyone in their home. There's a disconnect there. You wanna know if you're growing? How are you growing in love? I promise you, that is the marker. You could know this in Greek. You could be able to preach the Old Testament in Hebrew. But if you do not love, you are a noisy gong. That goes for me too. I'm just telling you, we need more than just information. We need each other. (laughs) We need one another. We need to, this is where transformation actually takes place. But that takes transformation in itself because our natural inclination is not to be with one another. We love individualism. And by the way, there's beauty in that, but it can get real sinful real quick. But we need one another because most of you, if we could all be real honest in this moment, don't want real community. We don't. It's not what we desire naturally. That's why we need to be transformed. We don't want to be known We want to post on Facebook. Selfie time. Hey, oh, by the way, selfie. That's self. That's another teaching. Anyway, great day at the zoo today. And you just got done fighting with your whole family. Everyone's crying. We got to wait till your face turns the proper color because it's all blushy and red. But we want the world to think we had the best time at the zoo. What a joke. What a joke. God sees. Be more concerned about what's happening in the home than what the world thinks about what's happening in the home. That's when you're actually being transformed, right? And realize we need each other, but we don't want to be known. We do not want genuine relationships naturally, but we need them. God's designed us to need them. And as this is where real transformation will happen, as we seek. You know, we, we read the word, we seek to obey it in community of one another. That's when transformation happens. And yet, even that, so you've got the word, you've got community, right? And seeking to obey, but there's still, we need, we need more. We need the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You want to know God's will for your life? Oh, that sounds scary. Read 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It says your sanctification. God wants you to be more like Jesus. That's what he wants from you. That's what he wants from me. Why? Because that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. And that can't happen apart from the things I'm mentioning. Yes, we need God's word. Yes, we need to seek to obey it. Yes, we need each other. And yes, we need the Holy Spirit to do that in us because we can do nothing apart from him. And this, by the way, is all by the mercies of God. So if you go back up to verse one and you read by the mercies of God, that means the gospel, everything he's provided, everything I'm talking about is grace. You can't do it apart from that. It's a gift, but it's a gift that he gives to his children. So, that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. That's what it means to have our lives be transformed and not conformed. Let's continue in Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has designed. Now, listen. Part of this transformation will include seeing ourselves properly in light of the gospel. Seeing ourselves properly. See, despite all the warnings against our culture, right, of low self-esteem, the real danger is self-centeredness. It's not low self-esteem. You think that's your problem? That's not your problem. You have an identity issue and it's rooted in self. It's not rooted in King Jesus. When your identity is rooted in him, it's not that you won't care what other people think. It just won't matter because you know I am loved because of the blood of Christ by the creator and sustainer and father. I am loved, I'm cared for. That doesn't lead to low self-esteem, right? And, and, and so that's been a lie that's been pushed upon you. The problem is, we're, we love ourselves way too much. We stare at our navel all the time. Poor me. It doesn't help you. It will not help you. It's bondage. It's slavery. It will not bring you the freedom you think you want or the thing that you think you need. True freedom comes when we realize that in Christ, I'm loved. In Christ, I'm forgiven. In Christ, I'm adopted in Christ, I am his child. I'm made new. I'm a new creation. It doesn't quit. That's when you'll see transformation happen. So we must be on guard not to be puffed up and conceited with our pride. We must be aware of what we're not. <laughs> we, what we cannot do, right? That's what it means to think with sober judgment when it comes to working on that other half of the building for the children's. I'm fully aware of what I cannot do, by the way. I'm reminded every time I attempt to build something. Now, I can carry drywall. I did. I can do lots of things. I can sweep floors. But you know what? Build me a section of wall. You don't want that. And that's okay because God has gifted other people to do it. God's gifted other people to do it. And so they have been. And I thank the Lord for those people. Now, thinking with sober judgment is seeing yourself accurately. This doesn't mean to think everyone around you is better at at what needs done, right? That's that's just really um, reverse humility that's rooted in pride too, right? We are a prideful sucker, by the way. Uh, It means acknowledging what we're good at and what we can do And and when we do this, it gives us an opportunity to serve one another. We we need grace to see ourselves in the right light. Not too high, not too low. But yes, God has saved me. He's brought me into his family, and he's given me gifts to serve. He's given me gifts to build his church up into love and good works. The beauty of the gospel is that it it will not allow us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to because we're all sinners, right? Right? You can't be like, I'm, well, yeah, but I'm like the best sinner. <laughs> oh, well, good for you. I don't know you should be bragging about that. But listen, you can't do that. So God's grace doesn't allow for us to think like that. It allows us to think with sober judgment. And on the flip side of that coin, the gospel does not allow us to think more lowly of ourselves. Oh, woe is me. I can't do anything like Eeyore, just another day at the 100 Wood, what is it, Acres? I always say that wrong, but 100 um, Acre Woods. Because once again, we're saved sinners. We're made new. We're brought into the family. We are loved and we're loved in the sight of our good God because of all that Jesus has done on our behalf. So sober judgment. Now listen, we're His children. There's no room for self-pity in the family of God. None. None. It's sinful. Repent of it. Ask God to forgive you. Seek to change. You're like, "I can't. Get rid of that word, it's garbage. I just don't even allow it in my family. <laughs> ask my daughter, it is the one four-letter word she's not allowed to say, unless it makes sense. Like, if I told her to fly and she doesn't have wings, I can't, okay, that makes sense, right? But if I ask her to do something she could do and she's like, I can't, that's, no, you might need help, you might need some encouragement, you might need some other pieces, but don't tell me you can't. And I'm telling you, if you are in self-pity mode, it's time to ask forgiveness and for God to change you. Because he can when you realize and humble yourself. He can do that, I promise you. So don't stay there. It's important that we all do this because we need each other. That is God's plan. That is God's design. The church is what makes the gospel made visible in this world. Get this, listen. So let's, let's go right through Romans 12, four through eight and let's finish out. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if in service and serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I'm not gonna go through each and every one of them. I'm talking, you have gifts, God has given you, use them. Use them. Use them. They're not yours. They're not for you to keep. By the mercies of God, the church is to bring God glory. And that happens not when one person does all the work, but when many people bind themselves together and seek to serve the Lord. We need each other. There's no supermen here, there's no superwomen here, or whatever, Wonder Woman, right? That's a good movie. It's coming out, I guess. But here's the thing, we need each other. We're all broken fragments. But when we band together, God does something amazing. Because he's good like that. He will not let you have glory. And thankful, I'm so thankful for that. But when we bind together, when we seek him together, he does great things in and through his bride. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 15, because Paul breaks it down in a little more detail. He says, For just as the body is one. And has many members or parts, people, right? And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So some of you might be thinking, well, I wish I got to do all the amazing things, right? Like the eyeball. The eyeball is amazing. It's beautiful. Everybody talks about the eyeball. Everybody gives it attention. They put drops in it. They take it to see a doctor. Somebody looks at it. They say, you need care. And they do all these things. But I feel like I'm just like a little toe, right? Maybe I feel like a finger. And... and you can see where that said, but guess what? The eye needs a finger. You want to know how I know? Because like if you're like chopping wood and you get like a piece of whatever in your eyeball, the eyeball might think I don't need you until it has that junk in it. And it's like, oh yeah, you need me now, don't you? Yeah. We need each other. And each of us have been gifted differently to do different functions that God has called us to do to bring him glory. Right? We are one body and yet we have many parts and we are individually part of one another. Notice that we all have gifts according to the grace in which have been given to us. We are to use them. You have a gift here, use your gift. And it doesn't even just mean on Sunday morning. I'm talking every day. It's a living sacrifice. It doesn't say be a living sacrifice on Sunday only. No, it says be a living sacrifice, period. Right? So each of you have different gifts that you bring to the table. Use them. And if you're like, I don't know what they are, start serving. Start serving. I promise you, God will start to work those things out. If something goes really bad, doesn't mean it wasn't, you know, gifted to do that, but maybe it does. And then you try somewhere else. But the only thing you should not do is just sit around waiting for King Jesus to come back and try to live your most comfortable life until he does. That's not at all what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to use our gifts just like you're not your own, your gifts are not for you either. They are for others. We glorify God as we, as individuals, join ourselves to one another and use our gifts to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. He wants the church to grow in size. Yes, because that means more people coming into the family. He wants the church to be healthy. That means that we are loving one another. So what is the church to grow in? Good question love. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. This body here is four years old. It's growing up. I could say that. I see it. I'm watching it happen before my eyes. We are to grow up. We're a living organism, right? That means it should grow. It should change. We should see more people coming into the fold. We should be growing in love. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Verse 16, he says, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You will know my disciples by how they love one another. Love, it's all about love. You should be shocked, right? No, because if you keep reading Romans, everything from the verse eight, so starting in verse nine until chapter 15, verse something, when he finishes his his conclusions, all about love. Love to the extreme even, your enemy. Love, right? The love of God displayed in the gospel leads love for him and love for the world. You know, one of the greatest tragedies in American Christianity is the misunderstanding that the church is a building or a service that's to be attended. It couldn't be further from the truth. Instead, it is a community of God's people saved by his grace. To be plugged into a church is to participate in the life of God with God's people. And in all of this is made possible by the mercies of God. Remember back to verse 1. It's made possible by the mercies of God. So join a community group. Seriously, become a member of Harvest Community Church. And if you don't want to become a member of Harvest Community Church, that's okay. Go find another great church. Be a member there, but it's for your good. There is to be nobody who's not an active participant within the church. No, like, I guess if I cut my finger off and threw it on the other side of the the room, it would not be a part of my body, right? That's true, but we're attached. We need each other right? There's no appendix here. None. And I guess they're needed for something too, although I don't know if anyone's ever figured that out, right? We all need, <laughs> that's not notes. are you surprised? Um, listen, to participate in this way is not really an option at all, but it is the call of God to every person in the family of God. Having been purchased by God, we are given this awesome privilege. This is why the church is so loved by him and so seeking to love him in this way. I pray, I've been praying that we would have a deeper and more profound love for the blood dipped bride of Christ. That's this people and other believers. Listen, that is a mark of a Christian. And I know you're like, oh, you don't know. I've been so hurt by the church. It's so jacked up. I know so many hypocrites. I know, I agree. And there's always room for one more. Because that's all there is. There's no perfect church, although in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, we are perfect and will be perfect. But this church, well, it's dear to me. I want to read one one last quote we're going to finish up and we're going to respond by giving of our tithes and our offerings and singing to King Jesus, right? But listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. I love that quote. if you got that, it would be a good thing. It's my hope and prayer that you will see this life, uh, your life, as one that is to be a living sacrifice shared with others. The church, with all its imperfection, is to be a glimpse of our fellowship that will happen with all believers of all time in heaven, in the new earth, forever. Oh, church, listen, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. You'll never regret it. Gladly lay yourself down on the altar and be a a living sacrifice. Actually, it doesn't even make sense because you don't need to lay yourself down on an altar because Jesus laid himself down upon the cross so that we could live for him, right? We do this, let's join. Like, remember at the beginning of the year, we had um, Pastor uh, Murray preach. He said, anytime, anywhere, anything, yes, Jesus. And some of you signed those cards and said, yes. Well, don't forget That's still true. Jesus asks you that every day. I still have that card. Sarah has one on her her end table. Jess has one on her, her end table, and I see them every day. Every day, wake up and die to yourself and live. Be a living sacrifice for God's glory. If you're here and you're not a Christian, listen, I'm talking to you. You are not promised tomorrow. You're not even promised the rest of today. Do not wait. If you heard God's voice today through his word, and you're like, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness, you talk to King Jesus. Ask him forgiveness. Ask him to bring you into his family. It is only by the blood of Christ that you can be saved. He's done it all in his life, death, and resurrection. He went to a cross to take our sin, and he took it, and he then, all those who believe and trust him, gives us his righteousness, and you become a believer, born again, right? By faith alone, by grace alone, and in Christ alone. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And because he had no sin, he rose from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. If you're hearing that and you're like, I believe that, then you call out to him, ask him for forgiveness, and be a follower of Christ. And worship King Jesus. Church, it's now our time to respond to the message. Don't ever forget, this is always the time, to respond. When you hear a message, it always requires a response. Well, you can respond by giving of your tithes and of your offerings, which is worship. You can respond by singing to King Jesus. I, I, let's sing to him. He really is alive. He really is risen. Let's sing as though that truth is really a reality in our lives, and let's worship Jesus together. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, Lord, we thank you God, we thank you that you became our sacrifice to make dead people, spiritually dead people alive so that we might be living sacrifices to you and for you. God, have your way with this church. God, I thank you. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for this people. I thank you that you are doing a good work here and that we get to be a part of it. And it is such a joy to be a part of it. God, help us to be a blessing to this world. Lord, there are people within this world who are without hope and far from you, but yet you're near to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ. God, work mightily through us. I pray that our worship today is pleasing to you. God, increase our faith. And as we give of our tithes and of our offerings, let us give cheerfully, let us give joyfully. We pray that you would multiply them, that you would do amazing things in and through them for your name's sake, for the sake of this world. God, be glorified in all things. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we ask these things, amen.